Yeah, so today we are in week three of the series, Same God. And uh, did you guys enjoy last week with my son Aiden? Didn't he do a great job last week? It was, uh, <laughs> I was very proud. It was also very stressful uh, because he was so stressed all week. So if you see him, make sure you encourage him. He, he, it really meant a lot and it was a lot for him to take on, but he did so, so, so good. So uh, today we are in week three. The whole premise of this series is the God we serve today is the exact same God we read about in the Bible uh, from long ago. The stories of miracles and mighty things that God did back then. He's the same God today and he can do those miracles and those mighty life-changing things in our lives today. I wanna start by today by going all the way back to, to 1914. is the beginning of World War I, and that the very beginning of this war, it was a very apparent that this was going to be a gigantic war, that it was in fact going to be a world war, and the, the famous author H.G. Wells at the, the very beginning of World War I started writing articles in England, in Great Britain, started writing articles about World War I, and he had ideas and ideologies about what the outcome would be, and because of how big of a war this was uh, becoming, he believed, his belief, was that some kind of new world order was gonna come out of World War I and bring peace to the entire earth, and he was writing articles about how there would never be a war again, and he titled these articles, it was later published as a book called The War That Will End War. The War That Will End War, that phrase kind of adjusted over time and became the, the famous phrase that many of us know. They, re, they thought World War I was going to be the war to end all wars. You guys heard this before, the war to end all wars. That phrase was coined by H.G. Wells. Now we know obviously in hindsight that that was far from the war that would end all wars because if there's one thing we know about humanity, as long as we're on this earth before Jesus comes, humanity is going to fight. There will be wars among nations and people are going to battle, they're going to fight, and that's just, it just is what it is. In fact, not only was World War I not the war to end all wars, it actually literally set the stage for an even bigger war, World War II. And so on, the bad news on one hand is this phrase is not true. It's not true. There will always be war among groups of people. But on the other hand, this phrase can be very true if we focus on the right war. So when it comes to communities, groups of peoples and nations, no way. But us as individuals, I wanna tell you today and start off today by telling you there is a war that can end all wars for you internally, spiritually. There is a battle that can end all battles. And there is a wrestling match, if you will, that can end all internal wrestling. And so what we're gonna talk about today, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 32, is gonna be mainly where we're gonna be today. We are opening up today talking about the story of Jacob wrestling with God. Jacob wrestling with God. I think this is a very, very cool story. It's a very odd story. And in order to tell you what verse or what chapter 32 is all about and to be able to break that down, you really have to know the context of who Jacob is and you've got to know a little bit of his life leading up to this point in chapter 32. So we're gonna rewind and go back to chapter 25, but I'm just gonna tell this story. They won't be on the screens. Jacob's story begins in chapter 25 of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. Jacob and his brother Esau are born in chapter 25. They are twins. 
They're born to the parents. The parents are Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac is Isaac, Abraham's son, so Abraham and Isaac. Jacob is born from him. But what we know about the story at birth, Jacob got his name Jacob because when the boys were coming out of the womb, um, Esau came out first. Esau came out first. And here comes Jacob, and he's holding on to the heel of his older brother Esau, as they are being born. Now, it's very important for us to remember that the firstborn of families in ancient Jewish culture got the birthright and the blessing, the supernatural blessing of God. They inherited everything from the father, then they would distribute to the other siblings. So it was a very, very, very important issue in deciding who was born first, especially when there were twins. Esau was first, Jacob comes out holding onto his heel. They thought that was odd. They named Jacob, and remember, names back then were way different than how we name people today. We name babies today based off of baby trends in Google, maybe a family member, maybe a name we heard on a TV show, whatever it might be. We name our babies like that. Back then, they named their babies and the name became their identity. They were intertwined. So Jacob, the name Jacob in, in original Hebrew literally means, literally means grabber of the heel, supplanter, or deceiver. That's what Jacob means. So if your name is Jacob today, good news, your name is redeemed. We're gonna get to that. So don't like look at your parents and be like, what in the world? You know, okay, so back then in Hebrew, that's what Jacob meant, supplanter, deceiver, okay? And so he was born and his whole life they weren't, he wasn't just running around calling him Jacob. They would literally, when they said his name, they were calling him deceiver. It's time to come in for dinner, you know. Deceiver, liar, manipulator. Can you imagine his whole life, like looking at his parents like, what in the world, right? But that was, it's important to remember because Jacob ended up living up to his name. He lived up to his name and he was a deceiver, manipulator, and liar. And we see this in the story. He wanted the birthright and the blessing that his older brother would have. He craved it and even ended up working with his own mother in, in conspiring against Esau. Esau, the brothers, Jacob and Esau, were very different, polar opposites. Esau was described in scripture as like a man's man, hunter. He was the epitome of masculinity. I mean, if you want a great picture of that, right there on the screen. Um, so, and, and, <laughs> sorry. Okay, so, why are you laughing? So that, that, that makes me feel weird. Okay, so Jacob was the opposite. Jacob was kind of referred to a little bit, um, kind of maybe as a mama's boy growing up. Um, he liked being with his mom. He, he, was, he cooked and, you know, whatever it might be. I know masculine is both of those things. But Jacob, they were very different in personality and perspective. One day Esau is coming in from the fields from hunting, and he was so hungry, he made a decision that day that altered his life, altered history, altered how, um, altered Judaism, even Christianity, how God would introduce himself to mankind. I mean, this level, this level of stuff happened because of a decision that Esau made that day. He was hungry. He comes off of the field from hunting. How many of you guys have ever been so hungry? You said the words, I am so hungry. I'm about to die. Anybody? Okay. You're like, I feel guilty, but yes. We all said that, and then four hours later, we say the exact same thing after we eat. Esau comes in off the field, and that day, Jacob was making stew, lentil stew. Esau has a kill. He's coming in off the field. 
but he's so impatient and he's so hungry and he's so desperate, Jacob picks up on it. He asks Jacob for a bowl of stew and Jacob says no. He asks again, shows his desperation and Jacob says, I'm gonna capitalize on this, living up to his name as a manipulator and liar. What he does is he says, I will give you a bowl of stew if you give me the birthright. The birthright was the practical side of what you would get as the firstborn. And in his desperation, Esau gives Jacob the birthright for a bowl of stew. That is a whole other sermon. I wish I could preach now, but I won't. But in our moments of desperation and weakness and hunger for the things of this world, we can so easily slip into giving up what God has for us in a moment. For all of time after that, God would be known in Scripture as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was supposed to be Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But Esau gave up his birthright that day for a bowl of stew, knowing he would be hungry again in a few hours. After that, obviously, tension probably started to arise between the two brothers, and then he starts, Jacob starts conspiring with his mom to work against his father Isaac. Isaac, in his old age, became um, blind and almost blind, and he was very, he was elderly and not able to see and hear very well, and Isaac has this plan. His, uh, Esau was also a very hairy guy, I guess a smelly guy, so Jacob covered himself in goat and goat fur, he goes into the, the room, and it's time for, for Isaac to bless, give the blessing. There's two parts, right? The birthright is what, is what Esau could give Jacob. The blessing is what only Isaac could give the firstborn. But Jacob deceives his father, pretends he's Esau, and Isaac lays his hands on Jacob and gives him the supernatural blessing from God that cannot be revoked. It cannot be revoked. So now, now, Jacob has lived up to his name to the extent he's stolen the birthright, he's received the blessing um, as, as a manipulator from his father, and now Esau wants to kill Jacob, and Jacob has to go on the run. So Jacob flees to another land, to the land where his uncle lived, his uncle Laban. His uncle Laban had two daughters, and Jacob immediately sees these two daughters, Rachel and Leah, and he observes what the Bible confirms, that Rachel was beautiful and Leah was not. The Bible actually tells us that she was not easy on the eyes. So, all, yes, so you might be putting this together too, that Jacob falls, falls for Rachel, but his uncle, right, they are his uncle's daughters, which would make them cousins, very Arkansas of them, right? So, I mean, so I'm, jo I'm, I'm joking. Guys, I'm joking. I love everybody. You're from Arkansas, it's just a joke. Okay, so. He falls, for, he falls for Rachel, and, but Laban says, no, you can't, you can't have her. You gotta work for seven years. He works for seven years to win Rachel over. Seven years. Ladies, if we're being honest, some of you don't make guys work longer than seven minutes. Seven years he works for Rachel, and it's finally this time, the, finally the time to marry her. He's excited. Back then in, in Jewish culture, the, the brides would wear a thick veil. You couldn't see their face through the entire ceremony. By the time they would get to the tent that night, it would be dark. There were no light switches, and what ends up happening is Jacob wakes up the next morning and looks at who's next to him, and it was not Rachel. It was Leah, because Laban had deceived him. Now, all of a sudden, the deceiver has been deceived. 
The deceiver has been deceived. Why? Because the eternal universal law of sowing and reaping is always at play. What you sow, you will reap. If you don't like what you're reaping, then pay more attention to what you're sowing. Because Jacob received that day what he had planted. Then he goes to Laban, how could you have deceived me? And he has to come to terms with he is a deceiver as well. He has to work seven more years for Rachel. Finally, after 14 years, he marries Rachel as well. And then through a long series of events, through all of this, somehow he remains sensitive enough to God through all of his own mistakes to hear the voice of God. And God calls him back to his homeland because Jacob had taken the birthright and the blessing. Now he's a major part of God's plan. Obviously, God is sovereign. It's always been a part of his plan. But he goes back. He says, go back to your homeland. But there's a problem. There's a problem. The problem in Jacob going back to his homeland is Esau. That problem had a name. The name of his brother who he had deceived and stolen everything from. And he's on his way back. He has to obey God. And then right before he meets Esau, God meets him. But I'm gonna, I wanna read a little bit of this. In Genesis 32, verses three through seven, they're about to come back into the land where Esau is, and this is what happens in verse three. Then Jacob sent messengers ahead to his brother Esau, who was living in the region of Seir, in the land of Edom. He told them, give this message to my master Esau. Humble greetings from your servant Jacob. Until now, I have been living with Uncle Laban, and now I own cattle, donkeys, flocks, and sheep of, of sheep and goats, and many servants, both men and women. I have sent these messengers to, messengers to inform my Lord of my coming, hoping that you will be friendly to me. So he's trying to take the humble path, right? Trying to do what's right, but it's more out of fear than even him wanting to do the right thing at this point. And this is what verse six. After delivering the message, the messengers returned to Jacob and reporting, we met your brother Esau and he is already on his way. You can imagine Jacob going, oh, thank God. He's already on his way. Then they say, with an army of 400 men. And then it says, Jacob was terrified at the news. Of course he would be. All of these years have gone by. I mean, it's approaching probably, theologians think probably 20 to 25 years at this point. A lot of years have gone by. He doesn't really know exactly what's happening, but Jacob's life at this point of deceiving and running and manipulating has finally caught up with him. It's a situation that's out of his control and the fight of his life had finally found him. So today, what do we do when the fight finally finds us? I want us to remember three truths from the story. The first one is this. The first truth when the fight finds us is the forgiveness we need comes only by the mercy of God. The forgiveness we need comes only by the mercy of God. Jacob was absolutely guilty of what he did to Esau, and he knew it. So for the last few weeks in this series, at some point, we're talking about the God of the Bible is still the same God today who can do miracles. We talked about the Red Sea. Last week, we talked about Gideon. But this week, specifically, the fight that Jacob was in and what I'm talking about today, the fight, the wrestling match that can end all wrestling matches, the fight that can end all fights is the wrestling match we have with God, where our, our identity can once and for all finally change. Once we are willing to come to terms with this is who I am, 
This is who I've been. I'm coming to terms with it. I'm in a situation now due to some of the decisions that I've made. My, all of my history has finally caught up with me. And here I am. Something is out of my control now. And I desperately need God to intervene. The good news is we serve a good God. God does not want us thinking, even in the problems we've created, that we can't go to him for help. But this is a perfect story of what God does to transform someone in the midst of the problem they created, okay? Because every problem, we can't run from it, right? So looking at this story, the forgiveness we need comes only by the mercy of God. Up until this point, Jacob relied on his own wit and his own intellect for his success, Every situation he got into, he could get out of it with his own mind, not this one. But now, in this situation, Esau's coming with 400 men, and there's nothing he can do. There's nothing he can do. I know some of us today, we feel like we are in a season where that's happening. We've been able to adjust and maneuver and, and do things in our lives to where we can get around certain things and, and come out decently okay, but today is a day where we have to come to terms with, this is who I really am, and this situation is not something I can control the outcome of. He had no control over his brother's heart, but the good news was in the story and the same God today, there was one who did have Esau's heart in his hands, and it was God. God was calling Jacob to go back and do the right thing. And if Jacob did, then the outcome would be in God's hands. Genesis 32, 24 says, so Jacob, in the midst of all of this, was left alone, and a man came and wrestled with him until daybreak. He was left alone. Many times in these, these seasons that we're in, Seasons where our friends have walked away, where because of our own decisions, we're struggling financially, relationships are struggling, we're living a lifestyle of we have a title of something, Christianity or something with God, but our lifestyles are not matching what we're claiming, and we're living this tormented life of wrestling. For so many people, I've, I've been a pastor now for 17 years, to observing people and then also even seeing it in my own life. The most miserable people, the most miserable people are the ones who have not understood the concept of what I'm talking about today. That there is a wrestling match that all of us have to have with God to where we are fully changed by him in that moment and that season. So many people have one foot in and one foot out. I want the blessing from God, but I still want enough of what I want to live, enough of how I want to live, but I still want enough of God to get what I need, but I want some of this. The people that live like that, they're the people that are just thinking every day, why is life such a big fight? I have tried the Christianity thing. I have done the church thing. I've checked the boxes. Why is everything a fight? Let me ask. Have you ever gotten to the point of wrestling with God to where you have fully surrendered who you really are? Where you've understood, this is no longer in my control. I am handing over the reins. And then we stand vulnerable 
in the presence of God. That's where Jacob was at. He was alone. He's thinking everything's about to be lost, potentially my life, and then a man comes. We see later on in the story that this is no mere man. He might have, had, he might have been in human form, but this was in fact God, and Jacob re- recognizes that just a few verses later and recognizes that he has been wrestling with God. So God comes and meets him in this moment. But the reason why I talk about his vulnerability and the reason why we have to rely on God's mercy, because when we are in a situation that we can't control, the best we can do is say, God, I know you're good. I know I'm here mainly or even partially because of my own decisions, but I am trusting you with the outcome. I have in my head what I want the outcome to be, but if you are a good God, I trust you with the outcome. I wanna wrestle through what I need to wrestle with and whatever consequences may come, let them come, but I want to do what's right. I have to make an adjustment. It's only through God's mercy that we can be forgiven and his grace that sets us, that sees us through the other side of the darkest moments in our lives. But this goes against everything that we feel and want as humans. I'm right there with you. It is so hard to be in the midst of turmoil and to step back and just say, God, I'm giving it to you. Full surrender. I will only do what you want me to do. I have to trust you with this. I cannot control everything. The second truth from this story that we have to understand is that God honors our perseverance in seeking him. God honors our perseverance in seeking him. This is important. Genesis 32, 25 through 26 says, when the man saw that he had not prevailed against Jacob, that's pretty interesting, he touched his hip joint and Jacob's hip was dislocated as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for day is breaking. So this is what God is saying to Jacob. Let me go, for day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you declare a blessing over me. This is so big. Why is Jacob asking for a blessing that he already has? He already has the blessing. Why is Jacob asking for a blessing? We are getting a glimpse of Jacob's, the beginning of Jacob's repentance because he is coming to terms in this moment, although he got and stole the blessing and it is his practically, he is asking God to legitimize now by God's grace what he received when he was disobedient to God. He's saying, God, now I recognize the blessing that has been bestowed upon me in a life, my previous life, in my past. Although my past is still with me, God, now I need you to bless me in light of my past. And that's God. And that shows God's grace. And this is where a lot of people are so nervous to come to God because of their past and what they're carrying with them. But we serve the God that meets you. His grace meets you in your most vulnerable, in your darkest moments of sin and betrayal and says, I will still bless you, but you have to persevere. Pursue me was what God is saying. Pursue me. Don't let go. Even in the story, he's telling him, let go. 
He's trying to see how desperate are you, Jacob? Even if I ask you to let go, will you still hold on? And I want you to catch something though. One of the verses here, it says, when he says, he's holding on to me or let go, what that implies is that Jacob was desperately holding on. So picture this scene, it's wild. This is God in human form, this angelic being, if you will, some kind of, of human angel. This is God. I mean, we don't know exactly what this looked like, but Jacob apparently right off the bat knows it's not just human, this is God. And then his hip is dislocated in the middle of this wrestling match. I mean, this is the moment where Jacob's thinking, how can anything get worse than this? Because why is Jacob even there? Because he listened to God. Have you ever even, have you listened to God before and you're like, God, I literally did what you told me to do and I still feel like this thing is getting worse. This is getting worse and I'm doing what you told me to do. And if it can't get worse than my own brother wanting to kill me, here comes this God that dislocates my hip. And Jacob's wrestling, his hip's dislocated, and he's just holding on for dear life. Dear life. Let go, and he's holding on. I want you to catch this. Catch this part of the story. He's holding on to God when his hip is hurting. He's hurt, he's hurting, and he's still, but he's still holding on. In the fight of our lives, this is a principle we cannot forget. When we are hurting, we have to hold on. In the depth of our pain, in the depths of our hurt, when it feels like the hurt and the pain can't get any worse, can't get any darker, the best, most spiritually mature, powerful thing you can do is just persevere and hold on to God. Hold on. Sometimes, you can clap to that. Sometimes we look at these stories and we're trying to find this, this brilliant theological thing we have to do, but all we see here is Jacob's just holding on for dear life. I can't let go. God, you're my only hope. This is out of my control. Bless me, God. You're my only hope. And what was lived out that day is if we hold on, the night will end, the darkness will be over, and daybreak will come. Psalms 30 verse five says this, I've learned that his anger lasts for a moment, but his loving favor lasts a lifetime. We may weep through the night, but at daybreak, it will turn into shouts of joy. This verse isn't even about Jacob, but it's literally teaching the same thing because it's a timeless truth for back then and today. This season will be over. The darkness will come to an end. What's true in life with the cycles of time and seasons and days is true spiritually. The darkness will come to an end. Daybreak is coming. Our job is to persevere and hold on because God honors our perseverance. Number three, the third truth is this. God wants us to have a life-changing encounter. God wants us to have a life-changing encounter. Have you ever had a life-changing encounter? I'm not asking you if you have spoken something in a church service. I'm not asking you if you grew up in church or if you went to camp. I'm asking you very plain and simply, have you had 
a life-changing encounter with God. I really feel like this is a huge problem in Western society when it comes to Christianity. The problem is we have so often in the church world talked about salvation without repentance, but there can be no salvation without repentance because what is salvation? It is literally saving us in light of our sins. We have sinned, we are guilty of sin. The Bible says deserving of eternal death, but Jesus came and died on the cross to pay our penalty for sin, and we have to acknowledge, I can't be saved from something that I don't acknowledge. Repentance, or salvation comes from repentance, and this is what this wrestling match is foreshadowing going to the cross of Jesus. This is what salvation looks like. We don't work for salvation. Repentance isn't working for salvation. It's just turning around. It's saying, this is the life I've been living without God, and I'm gonna turn around, and I'm gonna face Jesus, turn my back to my sin, admit my sin, become self-aware of my sin, and I'm gonna turn to God and say, I'm committed to you, your will, your way. I need salvation. And this is what's happening to Jacob. He's having to come to terms with who he really is. Life change can't happen until we understand we need a change. God doesn't save us for us to live the exact same way we've been living. He doesn't save us out of something to keep living in a way that the Bible says not to live. We're never gonna be perfect. But what is happening over and over and over again is we view salvation as a gift, and it is, but a gift that comes without a cost, and that is not what Jesus taught. The cost of salvation is turning our back on our old life. And that's a, that's a tough sermon to preach, but it's important because it's everything. Eternity is at stake when it comes to repentance being the first step of salvation. Genesis 32, 27 through 28 says, so he asked him, what's your name? This is God looking at Jacob. So he asked him, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Another translation says, has, have overcome. I think it's interesting though, when it says, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. It's, we can read Bible stories and it's mind-blowing if we'll just pause every once in a while and just choose to go deep into a verse and ask questions. I'm a big fan of, of going through the Bible in a year, going through things quickly. I think everybody needs to do that once or twice in their life for sure. But I'm an even bigger fan of reading the Bible very slowly. And every once in a while, just pausing and not reading it necessarily just at face value, but stopping and asking questions. That's my favorite part about the God we serve is he says, you got questions? I love those. Ask questions. Well, he says, what's your name? Why would God, this angel of the Lord, say, what's your name? He knew his name. Anytime God asks someone a question, going back to Adam in the garden, it's like, Adam, where are you? I mean, God knows where Adam is. He's trying to get Adam to understand where he really is. And it's the same way with Jacob. He knows Jacob's name. What he's trying to get Jacob to do is come to terms that it's not just a name, it's his nature. His nature is deception. His nature is lying. 
His nature is manipulating. His nature is anti the ways of God. So the angel of the Lord, God is saying, what's your name? He's saying, Jacob, have you come to terms yet with who you really are? And he says, my name is Jacob. This was his moment of confession and repentance. The whole wrestling match was about God saving him from a situation. Until this point, now it became just God saving him. So many of us enter into a life with Christ so he will make our marriage better. He might heal me so he can do something for me. And those things God wants to do, but we don't enter into salvation because of what God can do for us here on this earth. We enter into salvation through Jesus Christ because of what God has done for us eternally, what he does in us spiritually to save us from the penalty of our sin. That is the greatest miracle. And not until that point does Jacob come to terms with who he really is. So today, what's your name? What's your name? What God is wanting to know is if you're willing to own up, if we're willing to own up to who we really are, and if we're really willing to wrestle this thing out with God, to really look at ourselves and not point the finger at other people for causing it because of what they did. Well, I'm angry because of them and I'm this way because of that. Well, we stand there and there's none of that in the presence of a holy God. In the presence of a holy God, he's saying, what is your name? What's your name? It may not be Jacob, it may not be liar, deceiver, but it could be selfish. When he says, what's your name? It could be lacking self-awareness. It could be lustful. It could be addicted. It could be angry. It could be unforgiving. It could be money hungry. It could be success driven. It could be all of these things. It's the thing we carry into the wrestling match that God is saying, we can't end this wrestling match until you surrender everything, until you surrender who you really are, but you have to come to terms with it. We can't just come to God and say, oh, I know I'm sinful. We have to come to God and say, this is who I am. I don't just sin. It's my state before I meet you, Jesus. This, this is so important. I'm telling you, if you'll get this today, everything can change. So many people I've met over all of these years in ministry and, and again, even in my own life, experiencing this for, for me and God, so often what happens is we feel like I have committed my life to God because we refuse to look at and gaze at just for a moment who we really are in light of the decisions we make, in light of our priorities, in light of where we go, who we go with, what we do, all of those things, right? I am committed to God, but does anything in our life really reflect the full commitment to God? And so what happens is we live our entire lives wrestling, kicking, screaming, fighting the arms of God thinking the arms and hands of God are restrictive, they are squeezing, they are uncomfortable, when in reality, the arms around you are protection, stability, and freedom, because outside of his arms is only danger, but inside of his arms is peace, and the fighting can end. But we wrestle our entire lives. 
and we ask, why is life such a fight? I'll never forget, one time we were on vacation years ago, our 13-year-old Asher, when he was a toddler, was a handful. He still is, if you know him, he's great. But when he was a toddler, handful. He, he was the, you know, the, the strongest-willed kid, and when it became nap time, it was, it was World War III, you know, like every single time. And we were on vacation, and the, the house we were at there was on stilts um, and by, by some water. And I remember there's this swing that I love to, to swing on below this house, like it's just hanging with chains, like a bench swing. And it was time for nap time for Asher. I mean, he was just driving everybody nuts upstairs. I mean, just falling out on the ground over everything. Like, ah! you know, everything was a you know, meltdown. I'm like, okay, it's nap time. He's like, no, you know, nap time is like, it's horrible, right? It's just awful for kids. I pick him up and he's literally kicking and screaming, not figurative, like literally kicking and screaming. We go downstairs and I sit on that swing and my arms are around him and I'm just holding tight, not squeezing, just holding tight. No emails, okay? I'm just holding tight, just being a dad, okay? Just squeezing. And he's kicking and screaming bloody murder. I'm looking around like neighbors are like gonna call the police on me. I mean, he's kicking, headbutting, And I'm like, oh my Lord. I mean, he's like, ah, you know, like you've been there before. Like every once in a while, there's like three or four times where you thought they might actually be demon possessed. Like that was one of them. <laughs> and so like, he's just kicking and screaming and I'm, I'm holding on to him. And it's, it's taking a while. And I'm just kind of keeping myself safe. And I'm trying to go into another place with the Lord and tranquility. And I'm holding on and just swinging back and forth, and he's kicking and screaming, kicking and screaming. And I'm just looking at him going, bro, just give in already. Just give in. I'm not letting you go. You gotta give in here. You're fighting and fighting me and fighting me. Just give in. After five, 10 minutes of just swinging back and forth, the fighting subsided a little bit, and then my grip loosened a little bit, and then the fighting subsided a little bit more, and I looked down, and his eyes were getting heavy, and then finally his head just kind of dropped to the side, and he was out, he was asleep. And this face that was still flush, I mean, just bright red, that was screaming five seconds before it, now is just peace and tranquility. This precious little boy where I was like, oh, and I'm looking, I'm like, this is the sweetest little baby ever, right? <laughs> and I'm, I'm holding him, and he's just full trust, peace. And my arms are still around him. And in that moment, I thought, this is what happens. I'll never forget, truly. I thought, this is just like it is with us and God. We just view his arms as restrictive, and so many people live their entire lives claiming Christianity and fighting against the arms that hold them, their entire lives wondering why church didn't work, God didn't work, Obeying the Bible didn't work because they never had the wrestling match with God, identifying who they really are and said, God, I'm standing before the holy, holy God and I'm coming into full submission and surrender saying, this is who I am and I need you in light of who I am. It's who I really am and I'm owning it completely. You cannot be completely who God has called you to be. You cannot have the life God has completely called you to live unless you have completely come to terms with who you are. I'll never forget that image of me just rocking Asher to sleep, thinking, God, I don't ever wanna do that again to you. I just wanna give in. Finally, when Jacob was on the right track, He's, he's like, I'm never letting go, but he's still fighting because he's still a little bit, like he's repenting, he started, but he's still like, my brother's gonna kill me, right? 
And God finally, in this moment, that's when he touches his hip, and then boom, that's when he begins to give in, and there's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time before true repentance happens in the life of Jacob. And we know in the story, I'll finish reading, Genesis 32, 29, says, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? This is Jacob asking God now. Then he blessed him there. He blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. This is the picture of salvation. God, if we, if we don't wear down ourselves, God will wear us down in love and not anger until the point of exhaustion where we say, all right, this is who I am. Who are you? God blessed him there. The darkness was over. He stands up. The day is breaking. He's walking into the future now confident because God had blessed him, but he has a limp. We all need a limp spiritually. We all need one. We all have to have something for the rest of our lives where we look back and we remember and we almost tremble thinking, who would I be today and who, what would I be doing? Where would my life be if I didn't have that wrestling match with God? The limp we have with God that we remember is the life we were before knowing only by God's grace am I where I am today that I can stand and live a life devoted to him. And it's remembering that causes us to have the spiritual limp in our lives and remembering the goodness of God. To finish the story really quickly, Jacob ends up going into the homeland and, and you know, ends up being the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. He is Israel, his name is changed to Israel. Israel is, is a name that me talks about blessing and abundance and it's future oriented, the complete opposite of Jacob. He ends up meeting Esau, everything works out with Esau and he ends up living a life that is famous to this day. One of his sons is Joseph. Another one of his sons, Jesus, comes from the lineage of, I mean, he's the, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But it all came back to this wrestling match with God. So today I wanna end my message with asking you this question. I'm not asking you if you've called yourself a Christian or even if you have recited a prayer. I'm not asking you if you've ever had good intentions in a moment like this. I'm not asking you if you had a God moment at a camp or a retreat or something when you were younger. I'm not asking what denomination you grew up at. I'm not asking what class you um, it finished at some denomination. I'm not asking if you were confirmed. I'm asking today, have you ever come to terms with the desperate nature of desperate understanding of our true nature and saying, God, before you, this is who I really am and I need you to really meet me here and I'm fully surrendering my life to you. I'm exhausted from the fight and today I'm gonna give in and have peace in your arms. I don't wanna live my life fighting. I wanna be done. I wanna give in. And today you will not have punishment from God. You will be met with grace and blessing. The blessing of eternity with him and the blessing of salvation from Jesus Christ. I wanna pray with you today in closing. So if you would bow your heads and close your eyes right where you're at. I'm not gonna delay on this. 
I'm just gonna ask you straight up, I'll count to three in a moment for a raising of hands, but if you would like to be included in this final prayer today, and when I say prayer, what I mean is a declaration from your heart where your whole being is understanding what's happening today. I am fully surrendering my life. I am crossing that line. I'm turning my back on my sin. I'm repenting before God today, and I'm admitting I am Jacob. And he can transform you into an Israel. If that's you today and you would like to be included in this final prayer of surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, on the count of three, just raise your hand right where you're at. One, two, three. Just right where you're at. I'd love to see your hand just for a second. Thank you. Thank you guys over here. Thank you. Awesome. See you in the middle. Thank you. Great. Thank you guys. Thank you. Amazing. Awesome. A lot of hands have gone up. You can put them right back down. If you put your hand up, I, I have prayed for you all week long. I have just known in my spirit that God was drawing people here today to hear that. And I believe that in God's sovereignty and love for you, if you raised your hand, this was a God-ordained moment for you in time. And just be aware of his love that he brought you here today. Pray with me, make this prayer your own. Father, we thank you for today. We pray that you bless everyone here. And as we wrestle through these seasons and these moments where we understand what true repentance is, God, for those that raise their hand, may they make this prayer their own and Jesus come into our lives. We fully surrender to you as Lord and Savior. We acknowledge our sin and that you paid the penalty for that sin on the cross. We believe that you're alive and you are Lord. Come into our lives. We want relationship with you. Forgive us. Make us new today. The old is gone. The new creation has come. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.